What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of CMA Podcast. How is everybody doing? Today, I have a very, very special guest. Um, I have been trying to plan and structure this podcast since well before it began, uh, trying to figure out how I'm going to structure my conversations, what I'm going to say, who I'm going to say it to, how I'm going to present it. And part of that is reaching out to fighters, old and new. Um, I've been very lucky with my guests and today is no exception. I speak today to a UFC Hall of Famer. Amazing. Hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Boss Rutten. Boss, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing phenomenal. How about yourself? It's early in the morning here, but it's later in the evening with you. Yeah, we got seven, seven o'clock in the evening here. So we're, oh, we're right. based in Central Switzerland, Central Europe in Switzerland. Same timeline as Holland. Same timeline as Holland. That's why it was easy for me to schedule this, because this around this time, I always contact my people in Holland, the family. There you go. Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful country. I've never been. I've heard great stories. It is. It's really nice. Nice people. You know, everybody goes along very well. Uh, fun to visit. I always tell people, you know, if you have a chance, you got to go. But it's the same as Brussels and, you know, and Switzerland. I hear great things about it, too. So, yeah, you know, I should go there one time. I was actually invited by somebody, but I couldn't make it in uh, July because he wanted to go to a party and he found out that I could speak German and, and, he, and he lost to speak German. He said he, he would get me over there, pay me to speak German to him. I go, OK, we'll see if I have the time. But I didn't have the time. That's it. I'm, I'm better with German when I'm drunk. So I don't know if you, yeah. if you come and we, we, we hook up, we, we just speak German drunk together. That'd be great. Yeah. I do the same thing. Once I, I, I annoy my wife the whole time, but either speaking German or really a real dialect, like a Dutch dialect. Yeah. You know, she gets that if I do it like that on purpose, <laughs> you know, I always make it. You know, the worst situations I start doing that. You know? There you go. I like to dig a little bit. It's funny. Awesome. Uh, well, first and foremost, I, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It, it's great that I, that people in my position can just reach out to the various different social media avenues and to get a response and then to get a, pretty much an immediate and very easy uh, scheduling of a, of a podcast. It's, it's, it just blows my mind. Like I'm talking to a former UFC vet, Hall of Famer. Pancreas, you name it, man. And I want to say, are you enjoying your retirement? But you're one of the busiest guys in the game, even more busy than the, the kids doing it right now. Are you yeah. enjoying life? I, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm really enjoying uh, uh, life. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it's been good to me. You know, the Lord has been good to me. It has been directed all at the right moment. I was at the right moment for to be a commentator and some a TV show. And, uh, you know, it just fell in my lap the whole time. It was just amazing. So, and it just kept going, you know, and now uh, with the commentating jobs, some stopped. Uh, um, I, thought I, I invented a long training device when I was like 14 years old and I, I started making it like 10, 11 years ago. And then with COVID suddenly, because people start mentioning it and breathing experts start mentioning it and pulmonology start buying it. And now suddenly it started exploding, exploding. So my, that's where my focus right now is on that. It's called the O2 trainer, but we don't have to go into it. But that's an, a nice little thing that trains your breathing muscles. Sweet. Um, 
you know, I just look back on, on your career and like I, I had my first UFC fight that I ever saw was uh, Chuck Liddell versus um, Babalu, Babalu Sabral, you know, yeah. and that was coming towards the end of your career. And it's like I, I kind of equate the like Bass Rutan to uh, when I found out who Metallica was. Metallica later on in their years, they slowed everything down. And I'm like, oh, I love this band Metallica. And they're like, ah, yeah, but you got to go check out all this other stuff back here in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And then when people started telling me who, what fighters I need to, to look at and, and see their technique and style, uh, I was put in the direction of you. And I look back and I see this absolute killer. And when you were fighting in, in Japan, the thing about watching Japanese fights is the crowd is pretty much silent during the fight and they kind of appreciate certain moves and you hear oohs and ahs and applause and things like that um but but seeing you fight back in the day pancreas just when that kick landed like what was it like to fight in front of a silent crowd and hear the breathing and hear the movement and hear all that you know it was like when i was a tie boxer like people always come to me oh man he was a great striker i was but in I didn't have it under control yet when I was competing. Like in all of my Thai boxing matches, it was just a lot of anger. It was not really methodical what I was thinking and I was just blasting people. And because I had a lot of explosive power, yeah, I knocked a lot of people out. But if I would have had a really great opponent, I mean, I don't think, so I, maybe I couldn't even go to the third round. I, I, was, I was not in control of myself. I was really good in the dojo, but I couldn't do the same thing yet under pressure. And that's what completely changed in the, on the first fight in Japan. And I believe it is because of the, the crowd was so relaxed. I felt so comfortable. There's such a feeling of you cannot lose. Even if you lose, but you gave it your all, they will be cheering for you. They will be in line waiting for autographs. You know, now, If you give up, you quit. That's not the samurai way to go. If you do that in Japan, that's it. You'll never be back. I mean, they're, they're relentless like that. So once that pressure got taken off of me, I think it was it. And what happened also is like on the day of the fight, I figured, I found out that it was a 30 minute round. That I thought it was five rounds or three minutes. So suddenly when you hear that, and my opponent was like uh, 35 pounds or 28 pounds heavier than I had started with that, 28 pounds heavier. And then they told me there was no weight classes. And then when I asked how many rounds we have fought one, and I go one, that's nice, how many minutes? He goes 30. So I go, oh crap. So I put these big R's on my hand with rustic. It stands for rustic, which coincidentally also relax starts with an R as well. It's to relax. Uh, because I had, if I would unload like I would do in Thai boxing and I wouldn't get knocked the guy out and Japanese guys are known to be very tough. Like they can't take a lot of punishment. I mean, then I got 28 and a half minutes to go. That's not going to be good, you know, if I unload myself. So that together, I think with the crowd, completely put me in the zone. I mean, the way I get goosebumps now. I mean, because it was so a, a weird feeling. I was so in control immediately. I listened. I heard the people who were uh, speaking English on the first row. I was hearing them, what they were talking about. I mean, I mean, I would later after say, I say, I, I was commenting on what they were saying. You were listening. I said, oh, I just heard you guys. But that I never had in Thai boxing. In the Thai boxing, I just saw a target. And I just, rah, and every picture you saw with me is high facial expressions. In Japan, you see me hitting people and my faces wouldn't, wouldn't change. So that really, that audience, and I think the 30 minutes fight, that completely changed my game. And then all the striking that I was doing in the gym, yeah, translated to fighting, yeah. And 
that's when you become good. That's what I always tell people. You know, once you can bring the game that you have in your gym over to do it under pressure, that's it. You're going to be good. People are going to know you. You know, but it's that step. It's 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 hard to deal with pressure. A lot of people, especially now with social media, because if you do something wrong, they're immediately you're nothing anymore, and everybody spits on you. And it's it's hard for a fighter to have that if you don't have a crowd that stands behind you. And if you feel that oh shit, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose my fans. That's not a good way to go to a fight. You know, you put too much pressure on yourself. That's why I always tell people, I said, fight for you. Don't fight for your family. Don't fight to put bread on table. Don't fight all these bullshit things. Don't do that because you only put pressure on yourself. If you fight for yourself and truly don't care what other people think, you will fight your best. And if you fight your best, you're probably going to win. And if you win, well, then your family is automatically taken care of because now you get more money. You see, so don't do the pressure. Oh, I got to win because my wife, my family doesn't have any food or whatever it is. That's not a good way to go to a fight. You know, it's, you can't make mistakes. And once you tell yourself you can't make mistakes, yeah, that's, that's when everything goes wrong because it's Murphy's law, right? If you don't want a mistake, well, mistakes will happen. It's always like that. So yeah, all that combined, man, made me completely, a complete different fight. It was, it was amazing. And, and when I, the last thing, because I keep on talking, I understand. But I love lot, it. When I, keep when it I coming. the videos first, <laughs> when they brought me the video of the fight, I could say that was the first time I saw my fight. It was only 43 seconds, but uh, for my first fight in Japan. But I knew I knew exactly what I did. I said, watch this. He's going to open with a kick and I'm going to block him with my shin. I don't know why I won't kick a, a, a block a kick with my shin and over my arm. But why I did that, I had no clue. But I, I knew before I would see it on video, I knew exactly what I was doing. And all the other fights in Thai boxing, I never had that. I just slaughtered my opponent. I hit him wherever I could hit him and hit the face. Now I was aiming for the jaw. Now I was hitting for the solar plexus and the liver, not just the body, you know, but aiming for my shots. Everything became in control. And uh, dude, it's it's amazing feeling. That's the feeling I miss the most because I always say I'm in a bubble, it looks like, and I only let in what I want. I listen to the other corner. If they're American, I listen to the instructions they gave to my opponent. My corner, well, I never listened to my corner because I never had a coach in my corner. I was coaching myself. I was training myself. So I had my manager in the corner. The only thing that he would shout was, stay calm, relax. Because I'm a hothead. If somebody would hit me, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. That's what they say. Because otherwise, I want to go. But somehow in Japan, I didn't need it. I was completely in control. Changed me. It was beautiful. Yeah. And, and with this podcast, I don't want it to be like a string of questions. I want to bounce with a conversation. And you said something that it kind of, it's a very interesting point when you say don't like fight for all these other reasons, just fight for yourself. Um, so, do you think that like these fighters nowadays who are, I, I think they've even said it themselves, they, they fight to win and like whether it's eke out a decision or get your KO, um, there, there's that money aspect coming into it where these broke fighters are coming in trying to just make ends meet rather than actually do it for the passion and love of the sport. Like when you fight, you want to you want to take the head off the guy and then you shake his hand after. But now I think there's all this momentum with trash talk and social media and tweets that we just didn't see back in the day. And like I look back on those fights and I see passion. I look at the, yeah. these fights today and it's more financially driven, you know? Yeah, if you fight for 2,000 bucks, that's your first fight, a professional fight in Japan in front of freaking 15,000 people for 2,000 bucks, you know, but you have to pay food and, you know, I mean, 
it's it's not a lot of money. You do it for a different reason. You do it for because you love it. And now they see all these bigger stars and they look at the biggest ones. They look at the McGregor and, and all the guys who are out there and making a lot of money. And that's what they want, you yeah. know, and, and don't, you know, I had a guy with me the first few times who also fought also from for, from Holland and he was constantly complaining about that. He wanted more money, wanted more money. And I go, dude, start winning. I mean, what about that? You win some fights, there's no other way because then you, they need you and you're going to say, I want more. I remember everything. I remember when I got 4,000, I went from two to 4,000, 4,500, 7,000, 12, and you know, and but you know, when you keep winning, it keeps coming up because otherwise you say, I'm not going to fight for that. The UFC is there now. They want me. So it's up, whatever. You, I was making more money than you, the people were making in the UFC, you know, but I, yeah. but I was filling people up there. So, but I was doing it because I loved it. You know, I would train every day. I have fighters that tell me that they hate training. I go, wow, that's a hard job, dude. I would, I would wake up happy to go to a workout. Oh, trying out what I was dreaming of or whatever I did, you know, and when I came up with new things and new submissions and new lead, lead into certain submissions and setups for combinations, I would just love to try those things out. So once you do that and fight for that and not for the fame and for the glory and all that stuff and being on the social media, like every day, I don't need to see a picture from you looking in the, in the, in the distance says, thinking about what I'm going to do. That's the caption. I go, why would you even post a picture like that? No hashtag, whatever, you know? I go, you know, it's all folks, the me, 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 me. And that's not a good thing. Although you have to put yourself number one first, but that's not what I mean with people. But if I say I put myself in the number one place, then they think I have an ego. I say, but that's not it. I'm not going to walk around like, hey, look at me, look at me. No, but fight for yourself. Never let yourself down. What you tell yourself, you are going to do. You know, if I tell myself, and this is how I operated my entire life, uh, I'm building habits, great habits. And if I would say in the morning, okay, today after the workout, both workouts are going to do 12 rounds on the back. Then I had to do it. Yeah. If I wouldn't do it, I could not look at myself in the evening when I'm brushing my teeth, could not look at myself in the mirror. I would see a failure because I didn't do what I was telling myself I was going to do. And I trained my brain in such a way that I would never not do what I told myself to do. You see? And then, yeah, there's no other way. So, and sometimes I say, okay, I got to do extra three rounds. And, and immediately when I think, oh, why did you think that? Because now I have to do it. Yeah. Because once it's in my head, I have to do it. Somehow I train myself to always do what I say, because if you let yourself down, you let down the most important person in the world. It's very simple. This is how addictions arrive, right? It's just having no, not the balls to say no to alcohol, to drugs or whatever it is. Oh, what is good to is better. I would like to have a third one day. At this moment saying no, that, yeah, that's going to require some suffering now because now you cannot do that, you know, but those things you have to do because once you don't put those restrictions on, you start doing it with everything else in life and then everything becomes out of control. All these guys are using a lot of profanity. I, I was the worst one in drinking and drugs and women and Jackson, and all this stuff. They're absolutely not in control. They believe they are, but they can't handle their passions. They, they, they say to all their freaking things that come in, they say, yes, 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 because it feels good. No, the tough guy says no. And, you know, and, and when you're fighting before a fight, hey, suddenly you can't say no to the ladies. You can't say no to the alcohol and to the drugs and everything because now you have to do something. Well, if you can do it for a fight, why wouldn't you do it to just be a good person? Do the same thing, you know, train yourself to say no to things that will give you pleasure, but are just not good for you. And yeah. that's how I always worked. Yeah, and I would equate that then to like the, the sad cases in the UFC where I see... Uh, someone would fight and win and then get announced that she's got a, uh, a fight of the night bonus and all of a sudden her uh, finances are 
taken care of finally yeah. for that month because she took out a huge loan yeah. or the goes the opposite way where people are trying to force this inorganic trash talk that are, they're trying to just boost their brand um yeah. whereas it used to be for the love of the sport and the, the yeah. passion that we once saw like uh, again the entertainment era that we're in yeah no, it's 100 percent you know yeah. just keep it be a be a martial artist be like what a karate guy, taekwondo guy, all these guys, kung fu guys, respect. Mm -hmm. Do that. Watch karate combat. I'm a commentator for karate combat, full contact yeah. karate. People go to karate.com, check it out. That's when you see respect. Those guys, they can get inside each other's face, but as soon as they did, they bow to each other. They shake their hand. They were just screaming at each other, you know, but then they bow. They were, that's the respect. That, that's what I love about martial arts and all that talk, 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 talk. You know, you are not a Conor McGregor. He's just, that's his, that he's just like a Muhammad Ali. There's a few people in the world that can do that, you know, although I have to say he's pushing it too much right now, but, but still he's, but that's, don't try to be that guy. You cannot be, I would love to be that guy. I, I can't be him. That's, he has a different mind. He's just a very smart with the way he talks, you yeah. know, and sometimes, so you have to do it different. No, you have to find your itch. People like, look up Fedor Emelianenko. How many fans does he have? What does he do in interviews? nothing it's just blank it you know is. they made a picture one time in a magazine it had like 40 pictures of uh, Fedor all the same pictures and it said Fedor happy Fedor sad Fedor screaming it was hilarious you know but that's that's Fedor and yeah. look at the fans he had because it's intriguing now you see a guy who never swears who's really nice who doesn't have any tattoos he doesn't you know and just demolishes people that's yeah. very interesting you see, so you find your own thing and just be a good fighter. Focus on that because that's your job. Guess what? If you're good, you don't get beat, you will get your money. That's how it works. Because if the world champion comes, they say, no, I don't want to fight for that money. I want more money. And then everybody's going to speak up. Oh, you got to give him to this. You got to give it. You got to give it, you know? And if he deserves it, so be it. Give him the money. There you go. That's the mentality that should be pushed. I think that there's too much of a narrative on, on like I, I heard uh, leaked stories of the uh, the fighter retreats where they bring in pictures of Conor McGregor, put him everywhere and like strive to be this and 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 push for this. Be you. Like, yeah, be you. Be you. They, they always ask me, because I'm the, I'm the biggest Bruce Lee fan, right? And they say, oh, so you want to, would you wish you would be him? I said, no, I want to be me. Yeah. I want to do what I, you know, I went through all my crap. I went through all my bullying that I got. I went through my diseases and everything and knocking out the first bullet. I did that. I don't want anybody to, I don't want somebody else's life because that moment is still my proudest moment. The one time, first time I stood up and I didn't care they were with seven guys. No, it was not going to do anymore. I was not going to take it anymore. Boom, knocked them out. You know, all these friends didn't do anything. They're all afraid of him because nobody had to, 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 to cojones to do something. You see that moment still, they say, what's your best fight? Your best fighting moment in your life is the titles. I said, that's the one, the first one. Bully. I mean, that was the first time I stood up for myself. I said, no more, you know, and it yeah. changed my life. And that's how I figured out that I was actually good at it. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, then I start going after every single bully. And if you will be a kid who got bullied by other bullies, I will go after those guys. Yeah. You see, so now I became the bully beater. You know, I went to yeah. protect everybody. You know, I went through that crap. I don't want anybody to go through that crap. But if they can't defend themselves, I'll take care of it. Yeah, I, I love that story so much because, again, like you, I was bullied in school. I didn't start fighting till I was about 25 because um, yep. I, I was a music head in college or in school and college. It was all music. It was just no books, no fighting, no boxing gloves, nothing. 
And I just, I, I remember that one time I stood up to my bully. That was, you know, nowadays it's verbal resolution and try and talk it out. Sometimes that doesn't work. Um, I, got, I got two kids and I got to make sure that they got the jab going very quickly, you know? Listen, this is the thing, right? I start talking for eight, uh, uh, about seven or eight years, all the time. Please don't stop. Stop don't. Stop. I would never say please don't. By the way, and I, I never lost a fight before either. If they would attack me, I never lost. So I was just a strong kid. I was very skinny and said, but I was at the tenacity and I had the violence in me because of all the bullying, of course. But talking doesn't work with those guys. Their way is fighting. Well, then talk back by fighting. And I tell you one thing, that that guy who bullied me, the biggest bully in my school, I guarantee you afterwards, he never bullied anybody anymore. You know, so I taught him a lesson, actually. I made him a better person. The cause and effect. Boom, this is how it feels. How do you like it? Oh, shit. Okay, I want that to happen again. You see? And that's how you how you settle it. Like, I do this, uh, uh, I did anti-bullying campaigns for Cartoon Network and all that stuff. And they asked you constantly to not say that uh, violence would work. I said, and I'm not going to do it because I will be lying. You know, I mean, yeah. learn a self-defense. Of course you want to do, that's the last resort. I, I get an adult involved, do all that, do that. And try to, you know, but I tried that all for a very long time. And one punch though, solved all the problems in the game. So who am I to say that violence doesn't work? It's not violence, it's their language. You're just speaking back in the same language. That's what I do. I love it. I got to show this video to my wife later. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, love it. It's important for a kid to do yeah. martial arts. So right now with our gym, we're city martial arts in, uh, in Lucerne, Switzerland. But we actually we got very lucky at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we had noise complaints. So very fortunate noise complaints allowed us to get out of the lease that we were in. So we moved all our stuff out of the gym into storage and we're training outside for the last seven months. So it's very urban. So what we're doing is, uh, you know, numbers have dropped people don't want to train outside it's getting colder now um so there's like a handful of really dedicated guys that are are coming few girls coming to the the classes that we're doing outside and i'm trying to demonstrate through podcasting what we're doing um so we show up we have a little spot in the center of town we do our warm-ups we do our techniques we do our sparring if some people pass and they have their phones out i go like hashtag city martial arts if you post that on instagram yes. you know um but have you experienced like a huge disruption with your i'm assuming you still look incredibly fit you're still training has there been a huge disruption with you guys no, we're very blessed there. We live in a different county, like LA County is, we, we, I, my neighbor is LA County and I'm not. And our gym is also not LA County, it's called Ventura County. And the rules are a little bit easier here, more relaxed than it's over in Los Angeles. There you go, they close everything and here they, here they see through all the BS, you know, they see the numbers and they, they just go after the truth. And it, 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 it's not the way people are pronounced. It's, it's, it's been a nightmare, but hey, uh, I live by the rules. I do with everything, and unfortunately, we have kept the gym open. Yeah, it was closed for for a while, and I did the same thing as you. I did outside, and I actually streamed those videos uh, throughout the whole world so people could watch. I did it for like two and a half months, I think, with a with my fe female um, uh, fighter as well. That uh, is for my gym that I always demonstrate on, so that the women around the world could see that I was doing that. Uh, that she was doing that, so then get they if she can do it, well, other women can do it. You see, and then I was the guy, so. It was fun. It was fun. And in the evening, I would uh, stream videos also from my classes. We do it on the parking lot outside the gym. 
like just like you did. And then thankfully the gym started going open again. And we had not one, we had like two trainers at COVID, uh, no, nobody else, wow. you know? So, and I think they even got it when, when the gym was closed. So it was not even, uh, so we just have this really good, we make sure everything is cleaned very well. And uh, it is not that bad. It is bad, but it's not what they say it is. That's the only thing I'm saying. Yeah, true. I, I agree with you. I try and stay off this topic as well on the podcast, but yeah. you know, as a as a business, as a gym, as someone who's trying to persevere and fight through the the absolute nonsense that we're living through, um, you know, I just you gotta adapt. You gotta you gotta talk about it. You gotta let your members know what you're up to. Um, but we just want to survive. We want to keep this going. And you know, I I correlate this in with what I learned from people like you, the never give up mentality, no quit, like yep. find a way out no matter what. And, you know, I, I, people like you and all the hall of famers to, to thank for my mentality going forward, you know? Yeah. But you'd have to understand also, you know, what you see is just moments of our lives. Right. And you hear in interviews. And so we all have our struggles, man. Trust me. You know, I do these motivational talks for people and I go, please. I say, we are becoming a sissy society. Like nobody can handle resistance anymore. No more stress. We can't handle it anymore. And I say, yes, that's right. I said, we, that means it's me included. You know, I'm not expelling myself. It's not like I'm standing here and I know it all. It's absolutely not true. We all have our vices, our weaknesses. You know, we all have that. So you just have to figure out to, to, to see them. And once you see them, you can deal with them. So most of the time, that means your ego needs to go. Your pride needs to go. Because pride and ego won't show you what you're doing wrong because it tells you that, oh, it's okay to do. It's not okay to do. You know, like uh, stupid examples. People who don't clean up after their dogs. Just let the dog shit on the street. That's pride. That's ego. They think they're better than other people that just don't clean it up. Don't do that with me. It will not happen when I'm there. You can be with five guys. You can be this big. No, I won't won't hit them. But I, I will tell them, clean that shit up, literally, because it's shit, you know, and clean up. And they will clean it up, because otherwise it's going to be a problem. I will get into faces. I, I can't stand people like that. Or people that throw shit out of the windows, you know, in the, in the, in the car. Or people at the parking lot, to, you know, they have to just finish their McDonald's. They open the door, put everything next to the car, and just drive off. You see, you do that to me, that's police. I would love to see them one time, because I knock on the door, and I throw it back in the door. And I'll do something. I can't stand it. Just be part of society is what I always say. Just be a good person. Why wouldn't you be that? Why? Who do you think you are when you do things like that? I don't understand people sometimes, you know, and unfortunately we have a lot of these idiots, you know, and, uh, but you know, that's, that's why the, the, the sheepdogs are there, right? To, to steer them right, make sure they're the, they're the assholes, the wolves, well, they're not really wolves. They're just dumb. They just have no clue. You do it to them, the same thing. Like, you know, you go in their house and you drink a Coke and you throw it on the ground. What do you think they're going to do? I had this kid, like this 24-year-old or so, stands at the bar, somebody drinks a Coke and he just drops it next to him. I say, excuse me, yeah, so you dropped something. And he look, at first he looks, he doesn't want to do it, but he looks back and then he sees me and he goes, I say, you dropped something. Put it in the trash, dude. And he, of course, he picked it up, put it in the trash. Go, what about your parent? Did they, they didn't teach you that? That is just not good to do? I don't get it. Like I was in Texas uh, two weeks ago. And as soon as my, uh, my wife walked in, I was talking to these kids, 24, 25 years old. And as soon as my wife walked in, they both took their heads off, ma'am, ma'am, you know, and then put her back on. You'll never see that here in California. <laughs> you see, that is good upbringing. That is people, parents who did something right. 
That's yeah. what I enjoy about those guys. Yes, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. Yes, I would like to. Is it so much to ask? You see, so yeah, yeah. people need to wake up and be nice. <laughs> Go back to their roots. Treat people like you want to be treated. I think it's in the Bible. <laughs> Do it. That's it. It's very simple, right? I mean, that's, it's just basic common decency as to how all of this behavior is. Um, but I mean, your, your career that I look back on, that I, um, I mean, I say I look back on your fight career, but you're, you're going since the early 90s all the way to now. You're, you're an ambassador for, is, how do you pronounce it? Socratic Combat League or just Socratic Combat? Combat yeah. yeah, I see all that stuff. And it's just like, you're the guy, you're the face and you do it in such a charismatic way. And I can see like the way you come across in interviews and the way you, as you're an ambassador for the sport, that's what I want to uh, push in the direction of my guys who are under my instruction when they say, hey, Dave, who should we be looking at here? Um, you know, I got a, a couple of, if there's kids 16, 17 years of age at my classes and I go, do you know who Bas Rutten is? And they're like, no fucking google bass root when you go home tonight <laughs> check that shit out yeah. please because everybody yeah. knows connor everybody knows john everyone knows Rhonda. but yeah. the people who paved the way like i am who i am because of my parents that's some degree of it i can say it's to myself but i am who i am because of the people who led me there and yeah. fight styles and fight the, the, the fight game i'm there because of people like you paving the way yeah. so Huge gratitude for what you've done for us. Oh, man. you're very welcome. And, and and I was just blessed also with parents. Same parents, you know, as you. I get an, uh, a birthday present. Uh, I wanted the stereo, and it will give me the amp. He wanted to give me the amp and the pickup and the, the 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 LP player at the time, the disc, right? Uh, and no speakers. I go, why won't there be speakers? You're, you're gonna have to make your money to make your buy your own speakers. And of course, as a kid, you hate that when they do it. But boy, I'm so happy they did that. Yeah, because I'm now I know where I have it from to work. Always no problem with working. I can work 12 hours a day. I mean, if my father, the example he said, I remember he had a job and then he had a, a chance to climb up in the uh, business. But that would mean that he had like a year or a year and a half. He had to take evening classes every single evening, an extra three, four hours. He would come home around 930 or 10 o'clock and he was done at five o'clock normally. But every day he would. Good. And I remember because I would just lay in bed and he would kiss me on my forehead if he walked in. And most of the time I was asleep or I was acting like I was sleeping and he would walk out again, you know. And to doing that for like a year and a half just to get his family a better life, you see, that's, that did something to me. Now I know, okay, I want to do the same thing for my family. I almost get emotional from it now. Yeah, it's, uh, but that's it's amazing. Cool stuff. Yeah, I, I really, uh, those things, you know, you don't realize at that time. But then when you get older, you know, I told him, uh, a few years ago, ah, well, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I think already, I said, man, by the way, thank you for all, for, for that example, what I said, I had to work for my speakers, I want a, a motorcycle, uh, uh, yeah, whew, go, good luck, start working, but I worked at the farm, I worked as a dishwasher, I had two newspaper jobs, I stocked groceries, I did a lot, you know, because I wanted a lot, well, then you're going to have to work, they're not going to give it to you, and it set me on the path, that made me train always hard because I have to work for it. That made me, you know, prepare for shows, for commentary. Same thing. I always prepare very hard. Oh, you do it so easy and your acting is going so well. You have no idea how much I prepare. 
I mean, if I prepare, I'm walking around, walking the dog with scripts every morning. I just came back from a big hike, and you know, and what am I doing? Well, I'm walking around, I can walk around. But if I can start memorizing things, just things that I need in the future, maybe for my talks that I do, motivational talks or Catholic talks I do as well. And then I just memorize, you know, and, and go over the speeches. Because if you do a 45 minute speech, well, that's a lot of memorization. And if you got to do it one day, <laughs> two different ones, well, you're going to have to memorize a lot. So that time, I always do. When I meditate, I can be stretching at the same time. I always do two things at once, uh, two things in one. Simultaneously, yeah. Because if I can stretch and read or stretch and memorize, you see, I'm, I'm hitting two birds with one stone. So phenomenal. Always yep. That way, hard, hard work, that, that, that hard work mentality that brings results. I think that's what's missing in today's society where everything is just handed to us. And, and, things for free. I mean, like, I, I just, why is everything for free? Why are we cutting out the hard work that should go with it? You know, I just, I don't get it. We have a guy here also, and then we were walking the dogs and he says, everything for free is better. I said, well, free is better. I say, well, but wouldn't it be great if you have to work really hard and then go on a holiday because you deserved it? You know, you worked really hard. I said, no, 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 no. No, I don't want to work at all. I don't want to do it. I say, well, go to Europe then. They'll give you money. You don't have to work over there. You know, the taxpayers will pay 65%. Good luck because of you. But uh, hey, that's under. But if you don't want to be part of society, why, why would you Why would you want things for free? It's like fighting. I always say this. I say this in these motivational talks. Imagine that I never even had to train and I go to a fight and I would win a fight. Now, imagine that we wouldn't get paid for it, or maybe a thousand bucks, because otherwise you say, of course, I want to keep doing because I get money paid. But imagine you don't get paid for it. You know, I would be, if I didn't get paid for fighting, I still want to be a world champion. When I was competing, I didn't, I didn't care about money. You know, I was fighting for the love of it. But uh, imagine you never have to train, you never have to do anything. You go to a fight, you always win. You think that's going to be gratifying, like satisfying after, after five, six wins. No, it's boring. You don't have to do anything for it. You win anyway. What is it? No, you have to train really hard. You know, you have to, you can't party, you can't drink, you can't, you have to watch out what you eat. You, you can't do, uh, oh, Christmas comes though. I'm sorry, can't be part of that. I can't be there, but I have to watch out. You know, you have injuries. You have to work around those injuries and, you know, and keep, still, keep, still keep training and, and everything is hard, hard, hard. And then when you fight and you win, if you win, of course, then the payoff is much greater because you had to work so hard. You suffered the whole time to do everything. And now, boom, there's your goal. And if you lose, see that as, inspiration to train even harder unfortunately you didn't make it so there's a problem you're going to have to train harder but that's all gone nowadays you know here in schools if you if you do a, a three kilometer run the kids everybody gets a prize because you can't say that he's a loser anymore they go oh, this is the dumbest thing ever don't you want our kids to die of old age instead of these little kids walking around way too much by dying of a heart attack when they're 40 years old come on people parents you want them to live right so show them that they lose because that hopefully that will inspire them to hey maybe i should walk a few times a week just to take it a jog or do something get a little bit more healthy you see that's why there's winning and losing to inspire people but that whole that's all gone they all take pills for everything pills to lose weight pills for cholesterol pills for heartburn pills for going to sleep pills pills pills, pills that nobody you know, and I was, I was the same guy, but once I stopped everything, I go, this is crazy. Yeah. I just stopped everything and I'm going to go, now I'm going to work out. I'm just only going to watch my food and do, and, and no pills, 
I think I take a lot of vitamins and special things for my knees and and I think, but it's all healthy stuff. You see, and everybody can do it. It's just making the step, the first step. Oh, I want to start working out. When are you going to start? Ah, uh, Monday after the weekend. Why not today or tomorrow? What time is it now? Oh, it's early here. Sign up now. Why would you wait five days? Because that thought you have right now, that will go away again. You know, and then you don't want to do it on Monday. Sign up. Yeah. You know, but no, it's too much work. And long training device that I'm talking about, it takes four minutes a day. It uh, cures people from asthma, COPD. If I, the commercial that I have with it is if it's not 70% gone or more after 30 days only, I, I send you your money back. So that's a pretty, pretty, pretty big statement. It takes four minutes a day. People hear four minutes a day. Well, I can do that. No, and then you, then you find out a lot of people are sissies. They can do it for like a week. And then suddenly the four minutes becomes too much. You know, because, oh, I'm feeling my muscles. Yeah, no crap. Of course you're feeling muscles. These are your breathing muscles. You're actually doing something really good for your body, you know? Yeah. And then they stop. They, they, they break the habit immediately. I don't, I don't get, I, I started doing it in 2018, May. I missed maybe 40. That's over three and a half years. 40 wow. sessions because I was traveling. You see, but that's me. That's a habit. I have a habit. I do it. Every day I stretch. Every day, every day I stretch. Done. If I have an injury, I can't. Otherwise, I stretch every day. All my meditation, everything I do, I do every day. In the last five years, six years, how many times you missed? Never. Because I just build a habit and I don't break the habit. I use my turn signal everywhere, even four o'clock in the middle of the night. Nobody on the street. I use my turns. I just don't break a good habit. That's it. And that's how I'm wired. And if you do that with everything, man, you can climb freaking mountains. You can conquer everything because you constantly push. You just do it. But do it. That's the thing. Not say it. Do it. Yeah. Or, or in my position where I was told to stop shadow boxing in the office because I was putting a few employees off, you know, yeah. all suited up. And I'm just like, you know, just getting ready for a meeting. And I'm like, sorry, forgot. Out of habit. Yeah, but, but then again, also, listen, is it what you're screaming? Where you No, you weren't doing that. You're just shadow boxing a little bit. They should change officially. Uh, officially, they should change but you know you're the good guy and you say okay if it makes them uncomfortable by the way the guys it's not uncomfortable you know and if they can talk to you and see what good person you are they shouldn't be should be okay with that's the great thing in japan you know yeah. there you have 70 80 year old people coming up to you in the subway and they know your entire career yeah and they're glowing and they oh man they're so and it's it's so cool they see they see the person they don't see the fighter you know, they don't like a lot of people think that we settle problems by beating people up, right? It's like the weirdest thing. It's I go, no, it's it's actually the opposite. You know, I think insecure people, like once you start hitting people for no reason, and especially if you're a fighter, you're a super insecure fighter. There's something wrong with you. Oh well, what? You don't get enough attention anymore. You're gonna have to hit a person on the street. Why would you do that? It makes no sense to me. Yeah. So the guy who's in control and who has the power will never do that. Yeah, Conor McGregor comes to mind. <laughs> oh, you know, the thing in Italy he did. I go, why would you? Listen, I'm a big Conor fan. Yeah. And I go, but the last two times, I simply, I can't defend it anymore. I, I, I can't. You cannot say bad stuff, call the, the wife from uh, Poirier a hoe and, and yeah, do these yeah. things, you know. It's just pushing it too much. It's like, it's almost like an anger and he can't control it. And an evil thing comes out. It's, it's such yeah. a shame. It's such a shame because he can do so much good. Yeah. Imagine so many kids look up to this guy. They're like a John Jones. 
You know, I mean, great fighter. I listen, always been a great person to me. And McGregor too, I interviewed him and I talked to him and he's a great guy, but you know, there is something wrong that triggers them in the wrong way. He needs to work on that. Yeah. You know, but just become better because he's got all the power. Money doesn't do anything for you. You know what's going to happen? If you keep on this path before you're going to die, you can have a billion dollars. It doesn't matter because you can't take it with you. Your legacy, you're going to leave behind. As the guy who was beating people on the street, the DJ, who can't defend himself, an old guy, 55 years, 60 years old. That's you're going to be your legacy because that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember the billion dollars. They're going to remember what you did, your actions, you know, and that's the thing. And, and also, he better start, you know, get back in training because if he gets in training and go to, the, to his roots, because if he start, keeps losing, ah, he's a very competitive guy. And yeah. that's the same with me. I'm very competitive. It would hurt me if I would lose my last few fights from the last five fights, if I would win only four before I retire, that's going to haunt me. Oh, but he's got $500 million. No, it doesn't matter. You're a fighter. And when you're 60, 70 years old, or you, or you can't fight anymore, that's really going to haunt you. Trust me, because we're all super competitive. That's what fighters are. You know, we are super competitive. We always want to win. You have just to find a great way to leave. I, because everybody says, oh, man, you were smart. You left at the highest peak. You didn't lose for 22 fights. I go, it was not me. <laughs> that was literally the Lord giving me a bunch of injuries and say, it's enough for you. Because <laughs> I would have been the same knucklehead like everybody else. Oh, I'm not injured. I just keep on fighting. And eventually, if you're 45 years old, you know, and you have to fight guys half your age, you're going to lose, you know, yeah, and yeah. you're going to hurt your career. So fortunately for me, I got injuries, something I hated at the time. But now I'm very happy that I got him because it let me retire with this incredible record, you know. So uh, very stoked how my yeah. life has been planned out. Yeah, that last win, I think his name is Ruben Villa. How do you pronounce Bloody it? Hell, yeah, Warpath. Oh my God, <laughs> man! Those those final kicks. That for me, that's the end. Of, like that's when I went back to see who you were when I was educating myself on fighting about ten or fifteen years ago. Um. I was seeing that this was the last time we were seeing Boss Rutan in the cage or the ring or wherever it was. And when that last kick landed and that poor guy, that poor guy went down, I'm like, that's, you know, equating that to the guys nowadays who are young and getting in lots of trouble. Like you, you've gone on this path from your retirement and they're at their goddamn peak yeah. and they're prime and they're just going, public opinion is just killing them. But, you know, for me, this is where I draw the line and I push people in your direction. I say, this is who you need to look up to. This is who you need to Google. This is who you need to review and study because it's not just the guy with the fists and the legs and the fights. It's the fighter. It's the person that comes with it. And, and for that, again, eternally grateful because this oh, is the motivation and inspiration that you have given me as someone who's now a gym owner and a coach. Nice. I love it. Yeah. And that last fight, by the way, people say, why didn't you kick him in the head? I said, I could kick him in the head. I had a torn hamstring. I mean, I was so injured going into that fight. It was not even funny. But I've spent so much money on rehab because officially it was going to be Kimo Leopoldo. But he yeah. tested positive for steroids. So then, thankfully, this guy who just beat uh, Don Fry like a month ago before that fight, yeah, and yeah. Don called me and he says, Dude, the guy has a hard hat. I said, Don't worry. I said, Because I had a rip out. I couldn't really hit as hard as I wanted. I said, I will try to knock him out. And if I feel that it's, oh, he can take a shot, I will, you know, I'll, uh, I'll take him down. 
and I'll go for a submission, you know? And, uh, oh, leg kicks. I said leg kicks first, and then I, otherwise I take them down. But then the leg kicks seemed to work. <laughs> so I just take to the leg kicks. But it was a lot of things. And then what people don't know, and this is maybe good to touch as well, because it's always, what you see now, is, it's, it's a product of failure and winning and failure and winning. It, it, it's, it's always like that. Like after that fight, for instance, I test the positive. People, you know, people jump to conclusions really fast, right? They immediately go, oh, you just test positive for steroids. You know, read the freaking thing, you know, it's a painkiller, right? A painkiller, which I took at 10 o'clock in the morning because it said it would, uh, it would stay in the system for like 12 hours and it might affect my mind. If you take a Norco, a painkiller that they have here, like a Vicodin, like whatever it is over there, you know, it might slow you down. And that's the last thing you don't want to have. But I was so injured. And in the morning I woke up and I just, oh, okay, it's 10 a.m. I just take it, right? And then I took the night before I went to sleep a Tylenol PM. This is a thing that you can buy here that makes you sleep. You probably have it over there as well. Yeah, and apparently I tested positive for Tylenol PM. I go, is that even illegal? I didn't know. It's a sleeping thing. And then and then, and I took a knockout, which by the way, I brought to the Athletic Commission to show them. I said, I took this, I took this, I showed everything. So, but what happened there, that one pill, that became two, became four, became eight, became 16, and boom, 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 became an addiction. You know, and that I, uh, I thankfully I found that out really fast. Uh, like within a year, I realized Oof, I'm addicted. Like I would be shaking if I wouldn't get it. And I go, I got to stop this stuff. And then I went into the, you, there's the stuff that they, you have to take under your tongue. It's called Suboxone. It's like for, uh, Oxycontin is the same as heroin, right? It's just heroin from, from the, the government that they sell you. That's, that's the only thing, it's the legal heroin. Yeah. And you have methadone to get off heroin, but you have suboxone to get off the other heroin, which is Oxycontin, right? Synthetic heroin, that's what it is. And, and that stuff, they should, officially, you should wind, wind off of like in 10 days, but nobody told me that. They told me you can keep using this because it will still help with the pain and you don't have to take more because otherwise the pain pills take more and more is really bad for your body. So I kept taking that crap. And I took it for three years. And then I realized the side effect. It was, I mean, double I always double vision, always, everywhere. I would fall asleep behind the wheel during the day. I, would, I mean, in the movie theater, I would fall asleep. I would, my heart rate, I would be 86 in the morning in bed. My blood pressure to do, I mean, everything was bad. And I started looking at myself, but I got to stop this. So I tried to do it cold turkey. Oof, much harder than get off, getting off of OxyContin. I had no clue. So now I had to start waning down from that. And then I kicked it. And I literally, I went from one and a half pill to one, to three quarters, to a half. And then from that half, I went like every time, like one eight less, one eight less, one eight less, one eight less. Then at last, at one eighth of a pill, and I would take it once every day. Then I would break that in half once every other day. And then still, when I completely stopped, it was 11 days of freaking hell. I mean, it got in my bones. My testosterone level was five. Like the doctor says, people go 500. No, five. They've never seen anything in their life. Women have 80. I had five. And they said it crushed my whole body. And, you know, and that's when I, once I realized that, of course, I came back from it. I kicked it in 11 days, which the doctor said he'd never seen in his life before. Because apparently it was really fast. Because people with, if they're a, a guy below 100 testosterone level, he can't come out of bed anymore. Can't go to his job. I, they had no clue how I was walking around. I said, well, it's hard. I said, I just drink a bunch of coffee in the morning. I just get up. But you see, I had to kick that stuff. So I'm just saying this for people so they know if you're in that situation and you are taking painkillers, it will, it will only go worse. It will never go better. 
So you might as well stop now. And all the pain, and if you're honest to yourself, it doesn't work for the pain anymore. You just take it to get high and to feel good. Because if you don't take them, you start shaking, you, you, you just start kicking, you know, kicking the drug. So watch out. And then if you kick it with the Suboxone, make sure in 10 days to stop that. Because that crap, oof, that's why I'm throwing this warning out. You know, the one time, um, there was a moment that they say you have to take the Suboxone uh, after 14 hours. Well, that was one website that said 14 hours. I should have read more websites because apparently with the doses that I was taking, I should have waited 24 hours. Wow. And what that does, when you take it too soon, it will throw you in a full-on detox, full yeah, detox from zero, you, from, from this moment, and 30 minutes later, I'm, I am in the world. You, dude, I cannot explain. It's like a, something living in you. My, my, my hair stood like straight up. And look, my skin was a lizard skin. All the goosebumps were like, it was, a, it was almost animal-like. And I was freaking out, the tears coming out. I was crying, just raw working. And I was like, what? I was hitting my steering wheel. I'm trying to call people, couldn't orientate anymore. Dude, the worst scary thing ever. So if you go to Suboxone to kick that, make sure you talk to a doctor and you wait a long freaking time because that experience, well, the good thing is, never took any drugs anymore <laughs> because that, that really freaked me out i would so scare the shit out of anybody is watching it's going through this crap hopefully it's going to help that one person i'm going to be happy with one person only amazing i have a, an episode on my podcast one of the earlier episodes i was still nervous with the camera and the microphone and stuff but i almost took steroids i almost Ooh. got the needle in me yeah. And the yeah. only thing that stopped me was the fact that i couldn't do it myself and i was afraid that this guy <laughs> who I knew was not a registered nurse or anything. He just was huge. Yeah. Uh, I just couldn't have him stick a needle in me. And I backed yeah. out with like seconds to go. Um, Good. But yeah. You know, that... it's, like, it's like in the early days when I was young, we just started bodybuilding. Everybody did it because we wanted to look better, right? But then also for me, it's a very lucky thing for me. Once I start doing Thai boxing on the side, rope skipping my eye, my muscles start bloating up. And so I said, oh, that crap. And that was it. I never used the shit anymore. You know, now I do have to say many years later when my testosterone level was five, you know, the doctor will give it to you, testosterone levels, to get a healthy testosterone level because having a testosterone lo level lower than 200 is really bad for your heart, really bad for everything, you know, so you have to literally get it. So that was good. I tried also Decadurabolin, but like I said, that is like five years after I competed, yeah. you know, I never in compete. They can put me on a lie detector test. They can do whatever they wanted me to, to prove, but that's the one thing I can say I never did. You know, because I always thought that was cheating. But like I said, I was kind of lucky that it made me feel really bad when I was doing martial arts. And that's why I, I said, well, I'll never use that crap anymore. You see, so I don't know if it would have made me fly. And, you know, and I don't know what that would have happened. You see, so I have to be honest with that. But I've been always a guy who, who likes to look at himself in the mirror or not look at himself in the mirror. And when I look in the mirror and I'm a world champion and I, and I know I cheated, taking performance enhancing drugs i think i will be ashamed of myself when i'm brushing my teeth again i want to look at a person that is completely clean conscience you know and uh, and i think that would hurt me later on because you yeah. know you didn't do it and that stupid excuse for oh everybody's doing it is the dumbest thing i know a lot of fighters who never did it i was 28 when i started competing that's a late age in, in japan you know and if i didn't need it after 28 years of age and then getting older and i never needed it you think you need it you don't 
You yeah. don't need it. It's all in the head. It's all an insecurity. And also think this, once you do it, you do it because you're not happy with yourself. That's an insecurity. Think about it. You know, now I'm not talking about the guys who want to look bigger. Either. Of course, that's an insecurity too, because that was with me. I was always a skinny guy. And that's why we did it when we were young. You know, so oh, I want like to be big. Another great thing that comes with it is like when I started fighting in Japan, I was 203 pounds. And throughout my entire career, I've been always been exactly the same weight. Like I weigh the same now. I weigh like 208 now. But that's the same weight as I've been since 93 competing. That's a good thing also about not using. Because if you do use the weight, you go up, you go down. You go up, you go down. You will always see me exactly the same body type. So that's a good part as well. So yeah, stay away from it because it will haunt you afterwards. Because you know you didn't do it by yourself. You had a little bit of help. That's it. That's you. You hit the nail on the head. Super insecure. I was super skinny. I was training in this jujitsu gym with a lot of guys who were just monsters. And I picked one guy. I said, hey, man, I need to get a little bit bigger here. How do I do it? I was expecting a diet plan. He said steroids. I said, yes. Okay. It was a cash transaction. Um, never took them. Fortunately, because yeah. a few months later, I had to take a drug test and you know, passed everything. So it was fine. But it was just a huge insecurity. I was super skinny. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just ate my vegetables and uh, went to bed early and I got bigger. But I, I never say to people, like in that particular case, and if you don't have a sport, you don't have to hurt, where you can hurt somebody, do it. Who cares? You know, as long as you do it under a doctor, you do it healthy and make sure that nothing happens to you, you know, especially if you have a family in sport, you can die. You know, and not be there for your family. You have to make sure that you take care of those things. And it's the same with with the fighter. If he gets an injury and the doctor says, if it isn't a steroid, you might be fighting again in six months. Take the freaking steroids. It's your job. You know, and then, because, but after, after you took it, just make sure it's out of your system and once you start training again. You know, that's the only thing. But if it makes you heal faster, use it because that's officially where they are intended for to heal faster. Yeah. You know, not we misuse everything. It's always like that. You know, we yeah. can be social with alcohol. Oh, yeah, let's go more social, more drinking. You know, that's how we're wired. We always want more and more and more. It's a very nasty thing that we have in our mind. And again, I say we <laughs> because yeah. it's me the same thing. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I won't take any more of your time, man. I really sincerely appreciate coming on my podcast. Um, again, it, the reason I asked you on is because I'm a huge, huge fan. And I was telling the guys at the gym that I'm going to talk to Boss Rutten. They were like, what the fuck? Um, you know, been, been a fan for so long. Uh, will always be my two favorite stories on any podcast would be the Swedish jail on Joe oh, Rogan's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> legendary story and uh, a recent one that came out with Chael Sonnen when he talked about um you've never thanked me that was the funniest story I've ever heard Chael's a good guy man he's a really good guy he knows how to touch people's buttons he which he did in the beginning with me and he talked about it in a video yeah but then you come to find out it's a really good guy he said something about my commentating partner Kenny Rice and Kenny almost hated his guts you know and then he, Kenny had to work with him. And he said, I don't want to do it. I said, Kenny, he's going to be your best friend. He said, what do you mean? I said, trust me. You trust me, right? You're going to love this guy. Trust me. And he, he started working and he called me by the way and said, yeah, right. he's my friend. He's, like, he's, <laughs> he's just that good of a guy. He's, it's just an act. It's just like Conor McGregor he does. And he switches it on when he goes on TV. But behind stage, 
he's a very good person. Yeah, I uh, I like Jill a lot. Amazing. I love those stories, man. I just I've gone back on all your Joe Rogan appearances and the fact that you talk so honestly, so freely, and so funny. God damn it, you should be a stand-up comedian with your stories. You know what I mean? It's it's hard. It's I always wish to do that. Maybe I want to do something for five minutes or ten minutes. I mean, people have no clue. Like I do public speaking, yeah, uh, and that is that it's it's hard to, you know, you have to be really prepared because if there's a little insecurity, you know, it's a uh, so and 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 that is just you talking. But if you're a stand-up comedian and you crack a few jokes and nobody's laughing, <laughs> and every stand-up comedian will tell you they all went through it. Yeah. You know, so that's a yeah. That's, I would love to try that one time, but just like I said, for ten minutes, do an opening for somebody. I know Kevin James. I'm I'm 100 sure that if you, you already said it, if you want, you can open for me. So maybe I put something a routine together just for ten minutes, you know, and then yeah. try it one time. But do it. The dry mouth. Uh, I rather fight, you know, <laughs> than I than you stand there. But preparation is the key to everything. Once you prepare, prepare, prepare. You know, it takes a lot. That's the same with fighting. If you know you go into a fight, but you can't go the distance, that's you're going to be insecure. If you know that you can go all out, I mean, you're walking much more relaxed. Like, okay, bring it, you know. And and that's the same with this. That's the same with movies. The same way you have to memorize lines. As long as it's in there, you're good to go. But make sure it's in there because otherwise it's going to be a tough night. That'll be a long <laughs> ten minutes for you, sir. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody laughs. I go, ha, ha, ha. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Boss Rutten, Mr. Boss Rutten, thank you very ooh, much ooh. for coming on my podcast, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. That's Pete, my friend. Amazing. All right. That was Mr. Boss Rutten. Oh, my goodness. Talking to Boss. That was phenomenal. I'm sure you guys could see how nervous I was. You know, you're talking to you know, UFC Hall of Famer fight royalty right there. Guy who's paved the way for many, many fighters and many, many people in the game, whether you're influenced on coaching or fighting or interviewing, podcasting, anything to do with any industry, basically. You know, the guy comes across as such a cool guy. And that's what I felt halfway through the conversation. I felt like I was talking to one of my friends, you know, one of the guys. Uh, but yeah, it was a great conversation. Very happy the way it went. Guys, I'm on this journey with this podcast and I'm talking to like the, the, the creme de la creme of, of fighting. So like I'm a very happy man right now. Um, if you guys appreciate my work, all you got to do for YouTube, hit the like button, leave a small comment, subscribe, share it to your friends, help me get more views. The more views I get, the more leverage I have to take to smaller businesses and lend my assistance in getting these businesses back to normal. That's the goal. I'm not looking to make money off of this. I'm looking to assist with a following. You're my following. Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify rate and review. That also helps me. Help me get this off the ground. I'm having so much fun doing it, and I hope it's coming across that way, and let's see who our next guest is. Uh, sincerely, from City Martial Arts and all of us here at CMA Podcast, Bas Rutten, thank you so much, sir. And as you say, Godspeed. Rock and roll.